Coming up in the show, you'll hear about an exciting new podcast from Post Media and Antica Productions called True Crime Byline. A Canadian airline crew has been stuck in an ongoing nightmare ever since they alerted police in the Dominican Republic to the presence of cocaine in a compartment on their plane. For their efforts, they were jailed, subject to threats, and have been ordered to stay put in the Caribbean nation. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post reporter Tom Blackwell joins me to discuss how the crew found themselves in this mess, what their experience in jail was like, and whether there's any political maneuvering to get them back home. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Tom, it has been about two months since a Canadian flight crew landed in the Dominican Republic and found themselves in what I can only imagine is a legal nightmare. Can you walk us through what happened with the employees from Pivot Airlines? Yeah, and it is kind of a a bizarre story. And it is kind of nightmarish, you know, in terms of people sort of trying to do the right thing, it appears, and, and ending up in, in a horrible situation. But basically, uh, this is Pivot Airlines is, is a very small company that has some ambitions to, to run sort of regular service flights in Canada, but for now is doing charter flights to various places, including, in this case, the Dominican Republic, they um flew some people down who were sort of potential investors in a, in a company in Alberta for a few days. And then a new flight crew came down to the Dominican to fly the plane back to Canada. It had been there for, I guess, close to a week. And just before they were going to take off, the mechanic that was flying with them, the company mechanic, discovered inside what's called the avionics bay, which is a an area sort of underneath the cockpit access from outside the plane that holds uh, cables and computer uh, equipment, that kind of thing, found in there a suitcase, essentially, a sports bag. So the crew immediately notified their people in, back in Canada, company uh, notified the authorities in Canada and in the Dominican Republic. Uh, the Dominican Republic drug police came out and searched this uh, avionics bay and found seven other cases. Anyways, all of them contained cocaine, a total of 210 kilograms of, of cocaine, you know, worth somewhere in the range of about $20 million on, this, on the street in Canada. Wow. And so, yeah, keep in mind, this, the crew found this stash and reported it to the authorities. So what happened next? They and, the, and their seven Canadian passengers were all arrested and thrown in jail. And they were in jail for nine days, eventually released on bail. Although now the prosecutors in the Dominican Republic have appealed that bail decision, so they are, you know, terrified of of going back to jail because their their experience there was very unpleasant. We can get into the jail experience in a little bit. I'm I'm just curious, like the mechanic notices a bag, it has cocaine in it, so they phone the authorities and they ostensibly they do the right thing. They notify the authorities, and I bet they're probably thinking, okay, we've done the right thing here. And they find themselves arrested and thrown in jail. What was the reaction from the crew and the airline to the fact that these people were taken into custody for notifying the authorities there was a stash of cocaine on their plane? Yeah, I mean, obviously mortified and and outraged. I mean, the airline from the start has been 
crying bloody murder about this and saying this is not right and lobbying the Canadian government to, to, to intervene. And when the prosecutors in the Dominican Republic appealed the bail decision, the company came out and said, you know, this is outrageous. They've continually tried to point out that this is wrong, you know, this should not be happening. And so far, what they've achieved is to get their crew out of jail, although that may end soon. But one of the conditions of them getting out on bail is that they had to stay in the uh, the country while this investigation continues. And, and that could be as long as a year, apparently. And at this point, we don't know necessarily how the cocaine got on the plane. Like, have authorities said who's responsible for the drugs being there? No. I mean, essentially, they they have not. At the bail hearing, the prosecutors even admitted there's, you know, they're not saying that any of the people, the Canadians that were arrested, put the drugs on the plane. And basically, the judge concluded there was no evidence implicating them in this attempt to smuggle drugs. All the prosecutors did say is that there was an additional person who they didn't sort of name or really identify who did stash the drugs on the plane. But we don't know who that was, uh, you know, what, if any connection that person had to the crew or passengers. There's just, there's really just been no indication, no evidence put forward that suggests that Canadians who've been arrested really had anything to do with this. And, and uh, yeah, it remains pretty much a mystery in, in terms of how the, the drugs got on the plane. But I mean, I guess one thing to remember is that the plane was sitting at the airport basically sort of unattended for a number of days. The crew that flew them there went back to Canada, and then later the other crew came in. So, you know, certainly there was uh, potential for someone to sort of tamper with the plane, I guess, in that interim period. So the crew spent about nine days in jail before they were granted bail. What has the crew said about their time behind bars in a Dominican jail? Yeah, it was a pretty horrible experience. And the way the captain described it to me is they were put into sort of a, a communal cell that he said measured about 12 feet by 12 feet. And there were as many as 26 inmates kept in that cell at a time. There were no beds. There was basically a hole in the floor as a toilet. And I mean, those conditions are, are, are pretty harsh, but really the, the worst of it was that the Dominican inmates were, according to the captain, were constantly trying to extort money from them and, and basically threatening them with violence and, and wanting them to call their family back in Canada and get those family members to wire money to these uh, alleged criminals in the Dominican Republic, you know, through Western Union or by, by e-transfers. And, you know, they were threatened that if they didn't do this, that they would be harmed. And Eventually, they were convinced that they were actually going to be killed because they were refusing to give in to these demands. And And the way the captain described it to me is, you know, this started sort of pretty much the moment they woke up in the morning and continued sort of all, all day. And the last three days that they were in prison, the other inmates were so angry at them for not giving in to their extortion attempts that they were sort of banished to kind of the toilet area of the cell and basically prevented from eating or, or drinking anything for like three days. And then finally on the ninth day, they were convinced that that, that night they were going to be either severely injured or killed. But on that ninth day, they were actually freed. So it was, uh, it was good timing in that sense. But 
you know, as the captain said, it was like a living hell for a week and a half. It was very extremely unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're out of jail now and they're in a, I imagine, a secure location, there's still concerns about their safety. I, I can imagine if they disrupted someone's cocaine shipment to Canada, there are probably some unhappy people on the outside of the jail walls. Yeah, exactly. It's a somewhat different thread now, but basically they have armed security guards protecting them 24-7 now. The security company says that they are getting, you know, serious, credible death threats fairly regularly. The belief is that this is whatever organization was trying to uh, transport those drugs are now unhappy that, that these Canadians helped intercept it, I guess. Um, so that that is a threat now. So even though they're out of jail and have avoided the risk of, of these inmates trying to steal money from them, they, they now face other threats and they don't know how long they you know, could be stuck in, in the Dominican public, even outside of uh, prison. And why does the prosecutor want to see their bail revoked and have them return to jail? I think the request originally to have them uh, kept in, in jail refers to it as, uh, sorry, I've forgotten the exact uh, translation, but but something is something like a measure of coercion or something or a coercion measure. So it, it seems to be part of the Dominican legal system, keep someone behind bars in, in, until they, whatever, you know, cough up information, help in the inv- investigation. So that, that would seem to be what's uh, motivating them to, to want them back behind bars. But of course, these Canadians, not only do they know nothing about this drug smuggling attempt, but they in fact discovered it and alerted the authorities. So mm-hmm. why do you want us back in jail? We'll be right back. Before we get back to the discussion, I want to tell you about a podcast set to launch June 23rd from Post Media and Antica Productions. Called True Crime Byline, the show will explore some of the most high-profile criminal cases in the country and what it was like for the journalists who covered them. Here's a short trailer. You probably know these stories. Paul Bernardo was arrested. Robert Picton owned a farm. But what you probably don't know is what it's like to report on them. He said to me, people like my sister are expendable. People just don't care about her. I had published something that was going to destroy this trial. So in this podcast, we'll talk to journalists about the stories that made their careers, the cases that changed the way they see the world, and the crimes that continue to haunt them. From Post Media and Antica Productions, this is True Crime Byline. Subscribe wherever, well, you know what to do. That's True Crime Byline launching June 23rd. I don't necessarily want to draw too close a comparison to the case of the two Michaels, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, who were held in China for a long, long time before their release was secured. But in terms of the political pressure that is on the government right now, the Canadian government, what are the airlines and I guess maybe the the crew's family trying to do to secure the release of these Canadians in the Dominican Republic? Interestingly, the airline, as I said, has been lobbying the government from day one. The Airline Pilots Association, which is the largest commercial pilots union in North America, it's, it's huge. They've put out statements basically asking the government to intervene on their behalf, but also sort of warning 
other flight crews who come into the Dominican Republic, be careful, look what can happen. And, you know, and the airline is going further and saying any Canadian thinking of going down to the Dominican Republic should think twice about it because of, the, of this situation. And I suppose if there's a parallel to the two Michaels, it, it would revolve around the state of the legal system in both countries. And I don't think Dominican Republic can be directly compared to to China's legal system, but there's an organization that does a, a yearly rule of law index of, of countries, and Dominican Republic ranks quite low on that, like a hundredth out of you know 139 countries, I think it is, and particularly low on the measure of absence of corruption in the system. So, I think in that sense we are dealing with a legal system that is, you know, far from ideal. That definitely has some serious problems, and unfortunately, these Canadians are stuck in the middle of it. You mentioned the fact that Pivot is suggesting that Canadians should avoid travel to the Dominican Republic right now. This is seen as a hotspot for Canadian travelers. I constantly hear about people in my social circle who, when they take a trip to the Caribbean, the Dominican Republic is a place that they chose or that they really enjoy. How big an industry is Canadian travel to the Dominican Republic? It's huge. I believe Canada is the second largest source of tourists to the Dominican Republic. The number one is the United States, not surprisingly, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, the U.S. sends about 3 million people a year. These are figures from before the, the pandemic, at least. So 3 million from the States and close to a million from Canada. So, you know, it's we are a very big source of tourists and, and the tourism industry in Dominican Republic is uh, is one of their most important industries. So in a sense, there is quite a large and strong kind of connection between the, the countries in, in that sense. Do we get a sense of, of where these drugs originated? I don't imagine the Dominican Republic is a large cocaine producing nation. I assume it's coming from parts further south in South America. Do we know where it was coming from and ultimately where it could have ended up in Canada? We don't know exactly where, and and as you said, Dominican Republic is not a producer of cocaine, but what uh, experts have told me is that drug smugglers use Caribbean countries, uh, including the Dominican Republic, as as sort of waypoints. And one of the reasons is a plane or a ship coming from a Caribbean nation like that is going to arouse a lot less suspicion than plane or or boat coming from directly from say Colombia. So yeah, I mean, these drugs would have come from somewhere in South America, like Colombia, then to be transported on to whatever market. And in this case, it would be uh, Canada where they were destined to go to after they got to Toronto, which is where the plane was, was going to fly to originally. It's not clear. If it wasn't the crew of the plane and it wasn't the passengers as this plane had been sitting for a number of days, suspected it could likely have been a member of a criminal organization that had access to the plane or members of the ground crew at the airport where it was sitting. So this would speak to kind of a larger network of people involved, right? Like there's crew on the ground in the Dominican Republic, potentially crew on the ground, even in Canada who are getting it off the plane once it gets here. How big an organization are we talking about in terms of these cocaine smuggling operations? Well, I mean, just in terms of the Dominican Republic being a waypoint for cocaine, I mean, around the time that this stash on the Canadian plane was discovered, there were several other interceptions of drugs of sort of similar or greater size 
reported in the Dominican media. I think I read in one of the local newspapers that there had been something in, in the range of like two metric tons of cocaine discovered by the police in the Dominican Republic just in the previous couple of weeks. So, yeah, there, I mean, it sounds like an immense amount of drugs passing through the country. In terms of this particular incident, it suggests, you know, a fair bit of planning and, and organization. You know, where these cases containing the cocaine were stashed is part of the plane that most people would not, would not even be aware of, uh, let alone know how to get into. So, yeah, I mean, it suggests that maybe uh, a member of a ground crew, this is in Punta Cana in, in Dominican Republic, perhaps a member of the ground crew was involved, or if not, it was some participant in a drug organization who knew a lot about uh, a lot about aircraft and was able to access this uh, this avionics bay. But, uh, but certainly speaks to a fair bit of organization, I would say. As we're recording this, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is attending the Summit of the Americas. There will be other leaders there, including his counterpart from the Dominican Republic. Do we have any sense if Trudeau will be lobbying for the release of these Canadians when he meets his counterpart from the Dominican Republic, or are the feds being cagey about how they're responding to this? Uh, well, yeah, the captain certainly pleaded that, that Trudeau would bring up this case and asked for their sort of release from the Dominican Republic, you know, if and when he met with the uh, Dominican president. The government is being a bit cagey, I would have to say, but a, a government source indicated that certainly at any, they said at any meeting we have with Dominican counterparts, this case will be raised. So doesn't indicate that definitely there will be such a meeting, but that if there is, that the case will be raised you know, for what it's worth. I can imagine that the crew is hoping that they will receive good news on this soon and, and we'll be following the story as it develops. Tom, thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Tom Blackwell. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.